All right. So where does your story begin? Well, um, I guess I will start from the beginning. Um, as a child, I grew up in a household with um, my mom, my dad, and then there was five kids. So um, my oldest sister, um, Danny, she's 10 years older than me, and then the rest of us are literally like right up in age. So. Okay. Um, and how old are you now? So I am 27. Okay. Um, and then my younger sister, Ricky, is two years younger than me. My brother is one year older. And then my other sister is three years older. So um, growing up, you know, a bunch of little kids. Um, my parents chose to homeschool us <laughs> for religious reasons. Um, and we, homeschooling was hard. When you choose to homeschool kids, you have to be fully prepared for the responsibility that that, you know, takes because if, how are you going to teach a kid, you know, like say calculus if you don't know calculus? Yeah. And with my parents, we didn't have a lot of money, so they worked. So our homeschooling literally fell on the shoulders of my oldest sister. So she's 16 years old and I'm six years old. And then she's 16 trying to teach four little kids everything on top of her own education. So did she go by like any type of workbook or it was just? We grew up in a a small town. So there was like Amish bookstores that we went to. So it was completely self-taught basically. Yep. And that's hard yeah for a 16 year old that's very hard um and you know she absolutely did her best but um it kind of got to the point like we tried computer school it didn't work so basically we were fully uneducated um we knew like how to tell time we knew basic math and um in sixth grade I had the reading level of like a six-year-old I it you know um my parents eventually decided to let us try public school I went into middle school in sixth grade every single one of us failed all of our classes the teachers were so concerned you know how they do like popcorn reading and they try to like get everyone to read out loud I literally could not read that's really embarrassing and that's really hard. So they pulled us back out of public school because no one's, you know, going to tell them what to do. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to say public school was our first realization that our lives were not normal. Mm -hmm. When we were kids, we stayed inside at all times. My parents would go to work. We would lock the doors and we were terrified of outside anyone yeah absolutely terrified like to the point where if the mailman knocked on the door we would literally grab kitchen knives really we were terrified so like you guys only really had each other like you didn't really have any friends outside of it nope we had no friends outside of that when we were kids um during the summer we got introduced to some of the neighborhood kids which was a good thing and a bad thing Um, because we were so extremely sheltered. My parents didn't let us watch certain movies. And when I say certain movies, I mean like most movies, Mm -hmm. like Harry Potter or um, Cinderella. We couldn't watch stuff like that. 
because they had witchcraft in them. Right. So none of that. Um, Were they, did you know, like, did they define as like Christian or yes? Okay. Yeah. Um, And obviously I just want to say I'm not like knocking anyone for their religious choices, but there are extremists in every group. And this is just an example of that. Um, So growing up, we were extremely secluded obviously we didn't have a lot of friends the only thing that we did do was we went to church three days a week we some pk you know my father um used to travel um and preach and stuff like that once we joined up with a church so before i was born my parents were a part of a church that church broke up because of it being like accused of being a cult Mm -hmm. that church ended a lot of people joined a new church um you can take the people out of the cult, but you can't take the cult out of the people. Yeah. <laughs> so they kind of still stuck with that same way of doing things. And um, the abuse that we got, we didn't know it was abuse because it was wrapped up in uh, parental duties. Mm-hmm. You know, the blue, the blueness of the womb sort of thing. So that's... Um, it's the parent's job to teach the kid and this is how we teach the kid by beating the shit out of you. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, even when we were really little, we were not taught. We were trained. Mm -hmm. We were trained to only obey. Our bodies were not our own. Um, we, um, we had no sense of independence or like uh, who we were as a person. We were just property of our parents. Right. And everywhere that we went and everything that we learned was that. So you don't know any different, right. you know. You just do whatever your parents say. So we were to clean and cook, take care of ourselves, you know, um, and take care of our parents. So were so, there, so- when you say like they would beat you, like were there times that – if you if they like weren't happy with the guy with the way that you guys were acting like they would just lay their hands on you or the beatings were constant okay and it would be like a prime example there was one day my dad came home from work and there was toothpaste in the sink Mm -hmm. like someone had brushed their teeth didn't you know rinse it down or whatever and he beat the shit out of all of us because nobody knew who did it and our beatings were like okay getting spankings like you get spanked with a belt my dad would make us pull down our pants he would wet the belt so it stung more it got to the point where that didn't work so he got a um a one by and turned that into a a paddle or whatever he would spank us with that he broke that he got a two by four carved handles into it wrapped it in electrical tape beat us with that and then when that wasn't good enough, he would beat us with um, an extension cord. And um, i that's hard to, now I look back at it and I'm like, holy shit, that's hard to fathom. Because like imagine like, like a big orange extension cord and like a little kid, like, you know, like a six-year-old getting this shit beat out of them by a grown man. And... At that point, it's it's past the point of trying to do something for your child. You're just beating them just to beat them. Yeah. 
But growing up, it was normal. It was something that you just accepted because I did something wrong and this is my consequences of it. Because, you know, that's what the Bible says. You honor and obey your parents. That's what you have to do. And then what about your mom? Was she was she like the same way or she just wouldn't speak up or? It isn't until I was older that I realized how brainwashed we okay. were. Yeah. Because the setting that we were in is everyone around us consistently told us this is how it's supposed to be. So how would you know any different, you right. know? Um, we, we just didn't know. And when you grow up in a cult as well, you're taught as an adult that they'll tell you that this is abuse, but they just don't want you to follow the Bible. You know, they are, you know, bad people, heathens, whatever. Um, so, you know, just because the police say you shouldn't do this to your kids, God says you should, so it's okay. And in my mom's state of mind, they want you to choose you know, the Bible mm -hmm. or the law. Right. So um, that's kind of where the brainwashing yeah. all comes in because you're forced to shut off some obvious moral compass in you that's telling you that this is wrong because the Bible says it's right. Mm -hmm. You don't question it. That's what faith is. You just have to believe. Yeah. Um, so um, the sexual abuse for all of us was it was very much so you were divided from each other you know it was hard for me like just to come to my sister and say oh like my dad touched me or something like that that wasn't something that we were comfortable with because in cults they also teach you shame if someone touches you what were you doing to deserve that you know, it was never like I, uh, you always thought you did something wrong and that's why. And it happened so young for me that it's so crazy. I was never necessarily taught that this was wrong, but it was like I knew. Yeah. Something in me knew. And I remember um, one of the times I was molested by my father, I just in my stomach I knew something wasn't right the way he was touching me it just it something wasn't right and I was so young and I remember coming to my sister Annie and I remember telling her and she looked me in the eyes and was like do not ever let him touch you like that again mm -hmm. you know and you know say I was like 11 years old, she's only three years older than me. So her little 14 year old self being like, you need to protect yourself. If this ever happens again, come to me or come to Danny and tell us. Um, was she like enduring the same things or no? All Like it was all the kids? We didn't know it though. Okay. Because you didn't us, talk? We, yeah. Okay. We didn't talk about it. And you know, the things that happened to me, much worse happened to my sisters. Yeah. Um, and you know, we didn't even know about it all until we were older. And, um, you know, with the lack of education, the isolation, the physical abuse and the mental abuse, we started getting to this point where we realized something was wrong. So we had a few sort of big blowups where we called the police. So there was one instance where um, my sister, had a MySpace, you know, back in the day. <laughs> and um, 
she had talked to some boys on there and this was one of the big moments where my dad found out about it and started going through and reading her messages and we were all sitting in the kitchen he had um had her myspace pulled up and he always did this thing where if someone did something wrong we all had to sit and watch the punishment so you had to sit and watch each other get tortured and not being able to do anything about it but he pulled out a knife and you know you don't brainwash or not you know a knife's not a joke so um he pulled out a knife and he had it sitting on the countertop and every message that he read that he didn't like he would punch her she was like not she was like 15 i think at the time yeah about 15 years old and uh, he would hit her in the leg or punch her or something like that and my oldest sister tried to stop him and she has asthma so when he hit her she was like full-blown asthma attack and she ran up and called the police well my dad continued and continued to read the messages and like there was one message where she was saying that she wanted to kiss a boy that she liked and he grabbed her face and kissed her in front of all of us and he's like if you want to kiss someone i'll give you someone to kiss he acted like a jealous boyfriend Mm-hmm. like a crazy jealous boyfriend and she was his possession when the police showed up to the door my sister held the knife to her stomach and she was going to kill herself right there in front of you know her little siblings and we were all like don't do it like begging her not to do it even though the police were at the door but the shittiest thing about it is as many times as we called the police or someone called the police on us they never did anything about it, ever, you know? Yeah. We'd have bruises all over us, but they didn't see it happen. Um, you know, what happened to us, every system failed us. We told adults at the church. They covered it up. They told us to stop lying. Our dad is a, he's a great father and he would never do it. We told um, family, family, you know, covered it up. We... Um, we told our friends, but what, what, what's a little girl going to do, you know? Um, and police, CPS, time after time, nothing was done. Um, I was molested by, uh, a neighbor boy when I was really little, so little that I didn't understand what happened until they explained to me what molestation is. And I was like, oh yeah, he did that in my head. But CPS questioned me if a neighbor boy touched me in front of my parents. If I were to admit what happened to me, they're literally asking me this in front of people who will do much worse to me the moment they walk out that door. So I lied. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, nothing ever happened to me. And I never told anyone about that. Never. Because what can you do? Right. We had CPS called on us when um, we were kids because of my dad. We never found out who called. But they questioned us in front of our mom. My mom begged us before we went in not to say anything. 
You know, if he spanks you, he spanks you lightly with a paddle. Because if you don't do that, you might get taken away and go to a bad home. The irony of that is, is what bad home could we possibly go to? One who beats us or sexually abuses us? Right, like what could be worse? Yeah. Yeah. What could be worse? Um, we told CPS, you know, nothing happened. Because... T- we just said, yeah, my dad spanks us. He's like, how does he spank you? Well, sometimes he spanks us with a paddle, whatever. But like, so you we didn't, didn't tell them the truth. We didn't understand. Yeah. Like, we didn't understand that that's not a spanking. Mm-hmm. That is abuse. We weren't even introduced to what abuse was. How would yeah. we know? We had no idea. But um, eventually it got out that my dad had abused some of my um, sisters, friends, some other people, and, um, they were going to, um, take it to the police. And somehow those girls were talked into not pressing charges. The police had all the information that they needed and people in our church were like, no, it's okay. We will, we will punish him ourselves. What happened is it was covered up. My dad was not allowed to be in a place of leadership at the church anymore, but it was covered up. They never did anything. Um, but then my father just ended up resenting people at the, at the church, so then he secluded us more. Mm-hmm. Um, my one sister, Annie, she was like the wild child. She was our wild card. She um, would run away a lot. And I never had the balls to do that, but she would run away a lot. And she got the brunt of the abuse. So um, because she rebelled and talked back and did those things, um, there were times where my dad would like waterboard her. He would like pin her down, pin her arms down, put a rag over her mouth and put the hose over her just for whatever reason, you know, cause she wasn't like accepting, um, you know, the way that he was choosing to treat us. There was a time where I remember her and I, um, went in the basement and my dad was down there on the computer and he was watching porn, but it was like torture porn which to me only makes more sense now yeah. that he got off on stuff like that. Um, but we both were like, kind of like, whoa, we saw something we shouldn't. And we ran upstairs and he was going to spank us for it. He was going to beat us for it. And she looked him in the eyes and was like, no, we didn't do anything wrong. We caught you doing something like do it. I dare you. And then I'll go tell mom. So he let it go. Um, but that was the type of stuff that would set him off about her yeah. is that she could look him in the eyes with no fear at all. Once you get used to living in fear for your life every day, eventually you welcome it. Mm-hmm. We had all gotten to the point where we were fully willing to let him kill us because we figured if one of us dies, at least they have to do something, right? At least then they can't cover that up. You know, a child has died. Um, 
I guess, oh, how wrong we were because I still don't think it would have mattered. Yeah. It would have just been covered up as an accident. So basically, the church that you guys were a part of, that was the only sort of external socialization that you guys had at all. Yep. And then even they were no help because they were part of this just... We were bullied so badly by the kids at the church, the adults. We were treated like disgustingly because we were uneducated. I got called stupid to my face by kids. We were always picked last for games. People would like just like movie type catty stuff. Like uh, my brother was just telling me a story about how this one boy, whenever we would play games, he would be like, I want to be on whatever team Tony's not on. Just for no reason at all. We were treated like a burden to people. And in any like situation that we were ever in, it was never going to be any different. No one was going to help us. No one was going to save us. We were never going to make it out of that. Like, what like sources do you have at that point? Nothing. So all you can do is choose to physically fight it yourself or just accept it and deal with it. Um, And my sister Annie chose to fight it. She ran away a lot. Um, And in turn, from running away, was sent to jail by my parents. They sent her to jail. And how old was she at the time? She was 17. Okay. So they called the police on her. Yep. Okay. For running away. Did the police not ever think, I wonder why, they're right. running away, you know? Do you know if she, did she say anything to the police? Like, did she tell them what was going on or? They, they knew. Okay. Yeah. We had the police at our house. Like, it became like a weekend thing for us. Yeah. It was constant uh, to the point where like they knew who we were, you know? Even still, I know some of them by name would never forget their faces because they are the people who are supposed to help you. What do you do? You know, watching your siblings get beat to the point where they're bloody and you call 911. To me, one of the scariest moments in my life that I had, uh, my dad got upset with my sister about something and he took her upstairs and he was beating her with the metal end of a belt, like beating her with it. And I remember hearing her scream like that, like it just... I knew I needed to do something and I did like, you know, the unspeakable at that point, which was call 911 on my dad. My older sister wasn't home. My mom wasn't home. It was just me and the four youngers. So I um, called 911 and I went downstairs into our storage room and I hid under a desk that had some um, suitcases in front of it. And I remember my dad coming downstairs and I could see his feet and he was looking for me. You know, he's like, Charlie, where are you? Like, come out. I'm not going to do anything just like a fucking movie scene. I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to talk. And I could hear my heart beating. I was like, he's going to find me and he's going to kill me. Police hadn't shown up yet. And then I just like held my breath and waited and like I just knew he was going to find me and kill me. But the police showed up to the door and he had to go upstairs. And the police were like, yeah, 
no, there's nothing wrong. My dad was like, yeah, they actually let me spank her right in front of them. Did they see your sister at all, like, bloody? And just nothing? Just nothing. Consistently, nothing. So why keep calling the police? Yeah. CPS didn't help. Church didn't help. Adults didn't help. Family didn't help. What can you do? So when we got older, um, my older sister moved out when she was 22, which means I was 12. Um, and, um, and they were fine with her moving out? No. No? That was the whole thing too? My dad stalked her. She got like a group of friends who, um, shout out to all of them, for some of them still being in our lives to this day, um, to just be a protector. Um, one of her friends, Alex, was like, had to have a conversation with my dad and was like, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not going to say what was said, but let's just say he left her alone after that because the stalking was an obsession, showing up to her job, showing up to where she was staying, threatening her, um, just really messed up stuff. Now, my oldest sister is my half-sister. Um, I didn't even know that until I was older. So she is not my dad's daughter. Mm -hmm. So he didn't care what he did to her. You know, all of the sexual abuse didn't matter. They weren't related. It was fine. Um, it didn't stop him with the rest of us. But yeah. um, he was like disgustingly obsessed with her. Um, and then once she moved out, obviously everything turned towards Annie and then when Annie went to jail, that was left was me and my brother and uh, my younger sister. Um, and at that time, my dad had found out that uh, I had uh, lost my virginity. So that was a huge, huge thing. How old were you? I was 15. Okay. And then how long was your other sister in jail for? Uh, just under a year. Okay. Um, she didn't get to graduate or anything like that. Um, but... We, even in adulthood, we had night terrors, mm -hmm. like some of the most vivid dreams. And it was always about my dad trying to kill us. And it was like every night. And this was like almost most of our lives. And even still, I will still have extremely vivid dreams of my dad trying to kill us or chasing us. And it's crazy because like, you know, I think... Like, I, I don't know much about, like, the psychology of dreams, but we all always had dreams about that. Those were our consistent nightmares. Yeah, I feel like it's, like, a form of PTSD for sure. Oh, it was, mm -hmm. it was terrible. And um, being, like, raised and taught, like, just as far as, like, the, the biblical side goes – we, I've read the Bible through about three times easily in my life. We were taught to study the Bible, not just read it. So from a very young child all the way up, he would make us every night, we, we would have to like study, highlight, and then discuss what we read. And it was just a means for him to lecture us. He really loved the sound of his own voice. 
Um, and, um, it kind of built like a resentment at least I would say, because, um, like I, I could never go to a church again. I, I, I just can't, it, it like, you have to like relearn those things almost when you are taught in such a terrible way. Cause again, we were trained to obey only. Mm-hmm. We weren't like raised as kids to like become something. When you think about raising a child, you're raising them for their future. That was not what we, that was not what we did. We were slaves and we were trained to do nothing but obey. Um, if we had crushes on boys, like in middle school, I remember my dad calling the school saying that I needed to switch seats because um, I was sat next to a boy. Um, the time that I want to say I was I was 16 years old, so my other two sisters were gone, and this was to the point where my dad's abuse, the church's neglect and everything was so bad. Um, I had grown an attitude. I was fully willing to like talk back to someone at my church because at this point I was like, you know, I think just smart enough to know at that point. My sisters had moved out. We started to get outside sources around us. So we started to know these things weren't right. Right. Um, And when I was 16 years old, my dad had blown up because a table had some clutter on it. It wasn't even us. It was my mom's. Um, but my mom wasn't home. Um, so he um, exploded, broke all kinds of things in the house. Um, and, uh, I mean, this was normal. There was another instance where he took a kitchen chair and literally, like, broke the drywall, smashed it into a TV, whatever. Like, that that's normal. It, you just get used to the explosiveness of him. But, again, nothing ever gets done. Well, when I was 16, he exploded over the table, you know, being dirty, whatever. And um, I... He left. My dad was an alcoholic, so that, you know, key to a lot of his um, manic episodes. But um, he left to go get some alcohol, and he called my older sister, Danny, and um, I had my bags packed for months. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my dad asking me about if I was ever going to unpack my bags. I had went somewhere. No. I had constantly put stuff in it and I had told my little sister to do the same because, you know, I would protect any of my siblings with my life and I know they feel the same. And in my head, I was ready. And when he left and my mom was gone, I called my older sister, Danny, and I was like, listen, dad blew up again. We're leaving. So I was 16. My brother was 17. My little sister was 14. Um... So she came right out and came to get us, and we had her, my brother-in-law, cousins, um, and just some close friends there, Um, and we started packing shit up. And it's so crazy to me looking back because, again, 
no matter how many people we told or what we did or what was done to us, you know, no one was ever going to come save us. Right. Like you had to rely on yourselves. Yeah. It took my older sister moving out, getting a job with, mind you, without an education, like moving out, getting a job, getting her own car, uh, a place to stay, doing all of that on her own for her to become a safe haven for us to go. Um, and we did. My dad showed up while we were packing things up. And um, I remember him trying to swing on me in the yard and all of the guys like jumping up to protect me and stuff, which was really nice. But I mean, at that point then, you know, we're all moving out and we're just kids, yeah. uneducated kids. I like when I lost my virginity, I didn't know anything about it. I knew nothing. I was terrified. Um, I mean, it was what it was. I, I didn't do anything again for like years yeah. after that because I was like, Jesus. Yeah. Um, but we were so sheltered that like after this we joined public school, the outside world was like wild to us. Like some of the realizations that we had, just talking about our childhood to other people, they were like, what the heck? Mm -hmm. um, but it was just normal to us, you know. Um, there were uh, like times where he would beat us with the extension cord for days and days and days and we would show up to church on Sunday with just I mean how could you not have welts all over your body and it just you know it, it was what it was no one said anything did he um, beat your mom as well not that I ever saw my mom is very like hush hush about it okay. we never talk about this stuff that's another like big thing when it comes to like the cult mentality you don't talk about it with anyone um you forgive and forget um i didn't realize that it was a cult until the police were like you were in a cult I was like, what the fuck? Like, I thought, like, you had, like, a cult leader. And, like, yeah, no, your dad was the cult leader. Um, I had no idea. I just thought we just, like, grew up in, like, a really weird house or mm -hmm. something like that. But um, And you think, like, the people of the church were all a part of that, too, because they just kept it quiet? Oh, yeah. They're now, I mean, you could Google some of the people. Several men in our church went to jail for that. Really? Several of them. And they're people who are all in leadership. You know, you hear about that stuff in churches, but you don't, like, ever really know. Mm -hmm. There were girls that I'm like, oh, my <clears throat> gosh. Like, I would have never known that she was going through that. Well, she, I mean, you know, how would anyone know? Right. It was hushed up by the church. There were, I want to say off the top of my head, I can think of four exact cases where molestation and child abuse were covered up by the church. They were 
handled in the church. The church believed in handling it within the church rather than legally because Bible law is like different than the real law. Yeah. You know. So what did that mean like for them handling it? Through the church. You were, like, basically grounded. Like, okay. you, you weren't allowed to, like, be on the worship team. Handling it by the church just meant, like, we're not going to talk to you for a few weeks. That's literally it. Yeah. There was no punishment. There was no shame for them. Um, all these men got away with it until their kids were old enough to say, you know what? I really don't think that's right. And it's so crazy just to Google them and be like, yep. Could have guessed that. Right. Um, some of them were a surprise to me, and then some of them weren't. But, um, yeah, no. The church had no intentions on, you know, like in movies where stuff like that happens, and it's always like one of the leaders of the church, like, what do they really do? What do they do? They never get arrested for it, ever. I mean, to this day, um, some of them still haven't. Um, and it's also really hard because coming forward is one of the hardest things to do because you know it will affect other people. There are so many families in my church that I would love to just literally tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. <laughs> because I know that they knew and they did nothing. Right. You know, people that I told myself. And then there are people who had no idea for a fact, but they had like an inkling. And those people, one specific family, um, the Mallers, they were so sweet. We literally went to their house every chance we could get. So their daughter was also homeschooled. Um, they were actual guardian angels to us. They were the sweetest family. They would like take us on like mini like family vacations just to like neighboring states and stuff. But they were so sweet. And in the end, I wondered why we stopped being allowed to go to their house. Well, in the end, that's because their dad was the one who told on my dad. Got it. He found out. I never knew that until I was an adult. Yeah. And I was like, why can't I be friends with her anymore? Well, we just, we won't talk about that. Um, so, <sighs> being an adult... And learning to now cope with some of those things. There has been so much guilt. We all still felt like we needed to be friends with our parents and be friends with these people and respect these people. Um, my one sister, Annie, had the hardest time with it. Um... She just couldn't hack regular life at all. She got married and she had two kids, but her depression was so bad. All the time we talked about wanting to talk about the stuff that happened to us and wanting to share our story. Um, 
you know, abuse is one thing, mental abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, but all of it happening all of the time, like every day, it does something to you. You become desensitized. And I've always kind of looked at it as like, when people say that time heals all wounds, I fully believe that that's not true. You just have to get used to it or become mentally stronger to handle the the pain. It, it doesn't just like heal because even looking back on all of that stuff, it is so hard to talk about. And for some reason, we carry shame for it. Like we feel embarrassed that these things happen to us. It was, it's embarrassing being feeling uneducated and then going into public school and high school. That is embarrassing because you are far behind on your learning curves. You don't know how to communicate with kids. Obviously, kids were mean and bullied us. I mean, we were probably weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we just didn't know how to function normally. And she came out as an adult. So she was abused her whole life, went to jail for a year, and then boom, is 18 and is just supposed to know how to live? My parents didn't believe in therapy. Everything that was an issue was a demon, and my dad had to perform an exorcism on us. (laughs) So, uh, and the church, you know, they call it deliverance. It is what modern-day people would call an exorcism. Lots of screaming and puking and demons coming out of people um, just openly, you know. So that, he would do that, like, to you guys? Yeah, yeah. Now, mind you, even though we were, like, you know, whatever, like, I'm not an actor, so he would be, like, praying for me. I'm like, why am I not <laughs> convulsing like everyone else? Right, yeah. Um, yeah, no. Like, spiritual things were, like, a huge part of that, you know. You could feel spirits. You could see spirits. All of that is fine, but again, at my age, I'm just told these things. I don't really know what the heck's happening. And like if, again, if we did something wrong, like (laughs) my mom would say that she was delivered from a spirit of nail biting. That is to the extent that like exorcism slash, you know, deliverance happened. Now, um, yeah, I personally didn't buy into it to a certain extent because I would feel nothing. Like right. they would pray for me and I'm like, am I like, is this something supposed to be happening? I feel nothing. Um, but that was normal. Yeah. Now if you tell people like, yeah, <laughs> you had an exorcism last week, mm-hmm. they're like, what the fuck? Right. Um, but that also comes out in the like functioning as an adult. We believed in some like weird ass shit and we went through some weird ass shit. Um, like submission was a huge part of what women are taught in this type of Christianity. You are to submit to your parents. You are to submit to your spouse. Um, You don't get to make decisions. Essentially, you are to be seen, not heard. Um, You know, all the way down to like the way that we dressed. Anytime that we would leave the house, my dad would check what we were wearing. If our pants were too tight, we had to change them and he would rip them. He would burn them. He would, if he thought we were looking in the mirrors too much, he would smash our mirrors. 
um, because we couldn't be vain. We had to be like perfect, like pretty, but not too pretty, but also only for his eyes. Um, I remember him finding out that um, me and my little sister had crushes on these boys at church. He, I don't know how the fuck he found out. I have no idea. I think some, a parent at church said it jokingly. He came home and beat the shit out of us with zero proof or evidence. We didn't do anything. He just beat us for having crushes. I mean, we did have crushes on them. So, yeah. you know, it was what it was. But yeah, just for something that simple. Um, right. Like something that any kid would be giddy over and just like a normal feeling as you're growing mm-hmm. up. Yep. We were extremely sexually shamed, you know. Uh, my parents felt very strongly, especially about, like, um, your sexuality, like you're straight, anything else is a sin. Well, surprise, we're all bisexual <laughs> jokes on that. <them>. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I almost feel like, too, I, I really do believe that when you're raised and taught one way so harshly, as you get older, you want the complete opposite of that. Yeah. So I think that I, – I do think that in so many things that plays a role in people's lives because you don't have the free will to make decisions and find out things on your own. Mm-hmm. So when you finally get that chance, it's like, well, I want nothing to do with that. Give exactly. me the complete opposite. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And even just like relearning like love and how to like – like what love was and I know it's such like a cliche way to say it but for us growing up love meant obsession so we go out and we start trying to date right like we should know how to do at least some of this by now but love to us was a crazy toxic wild abusive love so for me, the majority of my relationships, I was in long-term relationships, but I dated a compulsive liar and cheater. I dated two guys who physically abused me. I dated one guy who mentally abused me and pulled out a gun on a, a gun on me. And you know what I wanted to do? Stay with them. What can I do to make you stay with me? Because clearly I'm not enough and I'm doing something wrong. Right. But that's because I was trained to do that. I, if I... If I am getting abused by someone, that's because I did something wrong. And I could even know that it's abuse, but in my head, it's because I, I did something wrong. What can I do? And I, I all of us struggled with that. Um, I, I know my brother struggled on a different end to where he's like, I don't want to become like my father. We all kind of did. We all did. But as a boy, that was something that he was like, he wanted to do the exact opposite. He was never taught how to be a man, you know. He wasn't taught how to treat women, obviously. And we weren't taught how a man should treat us. So how are we as adults supposed to know, like, how to fall in love? It it took me... I want to say I didn't realize it until I was like 26 years old, 25 years old, that I was obsessed with abusive relationships because of the way that I was raised. It would be like being in a good, healthy relationship was boring to me. Yeah. 
because I'm like, well, he's not like obsessed with me. Like, obviously he doesn't love me and he did. It's just, that's the right way to love. I would get bored if we weren't like fighting and smashing stuff, you know? Um, and I feel like social media a lot of times romanticizes that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, those crazy psycho relationships, like, I, I don't know, but, um, learning how to have healthy friendships and boundaries because boundaries didn't exist you were physically abused you were sexually abused um and you you don't talk about your feelings we were always taught to stop crying my dad would beat us like he did and then immediately be like stop crying or i'll give you a reason to cry eventually you learn to stop crying you learn to just sit there and take the beatings and you're taught to stop crying you know he uh i think he broke my sister's wrist or something like that stop crying <laughs> he have a uh spinal fracture on my lower back um still to this day but you can't cry about it you can't do anything it's fine that you literally can't breathe and you're like bleeding from your legs but everything was shut off your emotions so we still don't process things normally or in a healthy way we've all done um therapy and it works for some but not for all um my uh, older sister annie tried therapy for years she tried to be a good wife she tried to be a mother struggled with both of those things heavily she tried um therapy several times she tried medication she tried spiritual awakenings she tried different religions she tried drugs she tried alcohol and unfortunately for her literally nothing worked her whole adult life she spent trying to kill herself so we kind of always knew i always knew that that was gonna happen she um when she first tried she took pills and um she's home i think with her kids and her husband found her she'd taken a bunch of pills um and i mean not when she first tried because she tried a lot when we were kids and teenagers too but i just mean like as an adult um and we all had to come to the hospital and you know she was okay she's tripping really bad (laughs) but i think she took like a full bottle of ibuprofen or something um But it's so weird how we all reacted to it because it wasn't a surprise, you know. I I had tried to kill myself when I was a teenager and realized that (laughs) that was not for me. Um, I just wasn't going to go out that way. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think all of us kind of just learned to sort of grit through the pain and just accept it um 
except for her. She couldn't do it. She just, most of her adult life, she just wanted to be done. And that is so hard because of the bond that you end up having with someone where you've gone through that stuff with. It's like unreal. Like how people talk about like twin tuition and stuff. There is something about being with someone who you've had like several near-death experiences with or being tortured with that, you know, you no one else will ever understand what you've been through. Uh, being tortured side by side with someone, it's like no one will understand. No one was there. No one will get it the way that you do. And she struggled it was hard for her to be around other people she was such a like she's a very strong personality and she was beautiful and so talented like she could sing she could dance she was a gymnast she could do anything and everything I mean she literally the day we figured out she could paint was like the first day she painted she could just paint she's really good at it um super talented she was a performer um she could do anything and everything like extraordinary but she could not do anything that normal people could do she couldn't keep a job she couldn't love her kids and her husband the way that she wanted to she couldn't have normal friendships or relationships and it ended up destroying her. Um, She, I want to say it was about two years ago, she started drinking really heavily. And this is where we all knew that um, we were like, yeah, she's certainly trying to kill herself for sure. Like that's what it was. She had tried to kill herself several times, but like couldn't quite bring herself to do it. And we knew that this was her like long-term solution to something she had wanted to do for years. And we had tried to talk to her about seeing a therapist again, but again, she had tried everything. I was going to ask, did she reach out to you guys a lot to try to talk to you guys, or did she, like, kind of shut off? Nope. We all talked all the time. That was one thing that, like, we are so close. Um, So we we knew. We knew what it was. But when someone has their mind set on that, you you can't stop them from it. And she was hell-bent on making that her end. And we openly talked to her about it. We were like, hey, if you keep doing this, you are going to die. Like, think about your kids. Think about, like, their future. But she no longer could live for any other reason. Like, when you come into this world, you come into this world by yourself. And living for other people... And for other people's happiness, it's not for everyone. Some people can like pull through painful situations for the sake of others, but all she had known her whole life was misery. 
and you know she was diagnosed with several like mental illnesses and you know the doctors thought she may have been like um what's the appropriate way to say it like multiple personality Mm -hmm. disorder um she definitely had a manic bipolar depression and um she had been on medications but she hated them she hated the way that they made her feel and i know that that's a a fear that a lot of people have when it comes to getting medicated is you literally try so many until you find the right one and until you find the right one they will fuck you up you know, they make it worse. I mean, that's literally on the label. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so for her, she wasn't willing to try anymore. So within that last year, she started doing things like going on like benders, I guess, so to speak. She would get super drunk and disappear, sometimes for days. Um, and uh, luckily, we were friends with a lot of the local police, so we just call them up and say, you know, hey, she's gone again. Will you help us find her? And I remember one day we, th- we thought it was, was going to be the day, and they found her car, but they didn't find her. And it was in a weird, bad neighborhood, and um, uh, they found her. She's at a stranger's house that she met at a gas station. Um, she's just super drunk still. Um, and I remember talking to her and being like, you have got to stop this. You have got to get better. Like what, what can we do to make you get better? She had been diagnosed with alcoholism at the time. And, um, I remember her asking if she could detox at my house. Um, and you know Anything that we can do to make her better would was going to be what we were all willing to do. But it's hard when you know that getting better isn't what she really wanted. So we would say, hey, you could come do this. And she's just like, no, I'm okay. You know, there, there wasn't anything that we she was willing to do to help herself. Yeah. Because she had her mindset on something already. Um. I remember talking to her one day and she um, she told me that she loved me and that she was super proud of me and uh, that she, um, she just called me just to tell me that, you know? She was just like, I'm, I'm super proud of you and I love you and I'm so happy with um, like everything that you, you know, you're doing. And this was... Uh, maybe this was like mid-December um and I had like you know moved to a new town and bought a house and got a new job and she was like super proud of me um and then not maybe a couple days later because she had been in and out of the hospital now for alcoholism she had liver failure but she kept leaving the hospital um and I, I remember I went to see her. We met up like halfway because basically she lived at the top of the state. I lived at the bottom of the state. We met in the middle. And I saw her and she looked awful. I was terrified for her. So with alcoholism, your liver, liver swells. And so she looked pregnant. Um, she's a super thin girl, you know, smaller than me. And 
it her stomach was super swollen her, her legs and everything like she had really bad like water retention so she was super swollen and her skin and her eyes were all jaundiced so they were like highlighter yellow yeah. eyes she looked scary and i remember being terrified for her and i hung out with her we went to the mall she was super embarrassed to go to the mall but she wanted to go so we went and like i bought her some stuff we just hung out and she went back home um and i remember um calling my mom immediately after and i was like guys i don't think you understand she's gonna die but she refused to go back to the hospital um and then we got a call i was at work um i kind of knew like i talked to her two days before and told her she was gonna die um and i told her that i loved her um and actually one of my um sisters had just had a baby too and she was supposed to come and see the baby for the first time and she decided not to come so none of us got to see her um but yeah i talked to her two days before and we got in a little bit of an argument because i was mad at her for giving up you know that was like something that we were proud of was like our battle scars like we had gotten out of that place right. on our own like no one helped us and you know, we were all going to make it, but she was choosing to give up. And at this time she'd lived out of her car. Um, and she was just kind of doing whatever, just essentially just to get alcohol really. Um, and I got a call that she had died and my initial reaction was I was so mad at her. I was pissed. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, I had told her and told her and told her and begged her to do better. And she just, she couldn't. My initial reaction was just angry at her for not getting better because no matter what we said to her even if it made sense she wasn't willing to do it because in her heart it's not what she wanted and this was kind of where the tables had turned for my parents and for our church Mind you, I'd stopped going to my church when I moved out when I was 16. Never looked back. Some of the people who showed up and the way that my parents acted after this was, like, disgusting. It was like her funeral was a meet and greet and everyone was just there to hang out. My parents held no responsibility for this they still to this day my dad had her number blocked when she died because she wanted to call him and talk to him but because they didn't agree on religious views they he didn't want to talk to her he had her number blocked 
But then when she died, all of a sudden, they're just like, oh, my poor sweet daughter. I remember talking to my mom and being like, hey, can we at least talk to you about our childhood? I would love for this door to be closed and for things to be better. I had, when I moved out, gone on like a hiatus from talking to my dad. We all did, you know, like, fuck that guy. Um, And funnily enough, that's not a real word. (laughs) (laughs) I got it. Don't worry. (laughs) I actually went to um, this one church where they had like an AA program. And I had never done drugs or alcohol in my life, but they need someone to teach it. So I taught an AA meeting Mm -hmm. to some of the nicest ladies. And then I found out that they actually had like uh, a sexual abuse program for women who had been sexually abused. So I decided to go through that and they kind of treated it the same as like an AA meeting where you get your chips and you go through the steps. And I had decided to like fully and completely forgive my dad um, for everything. I mean, at this point, nothing could be done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was more like you had to do that for yourself. Yep. I had to just sort of give it all up and... um I had tried to be his friend again, um, talk to him every now and again, see him on his birthday, whatever. Um, my older sister couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. Um, uh, she just, for her, she had a different memory of everything because she's so much older. If she didn't move out until she was 22, she was still being physically and sexually abused into her 20s. Like, I understand that that's a grudge she's willing to hold for the rest of her life. Um, And he's not even her father. Um, But, uh, you know, having a relationship with my dad when we were older just kind of became exhausting because everything to him was like, so how's your spiritual life? How are you doing with the Lord? So he really just held on to the religious thing. Yes, that was all he could do was hold on to the religious side of things well after my sister died I had a conversation with him because things just didn't sit right with me that she had a miserable ass life fully because of them her entire life and she died when she was 29 years old was never given a shot I mean my parents like to say that she had ample opportunity to change and do good. She's an adult. She's making her own decisions. But what about your decisions? What about your decisions as an adult that you chose to make that you don't want to talk about, you know? Uh, and the church never saying anything, um, ever. I, 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 I will say that Our pastor at the time, he never knew. Like the actual pastor of the church never knew. It was covered up by other people who were like involved in, I'm not going to say, but certain leadership roles. Um, And he did come to us much later when he found out and like on his knees cried and was like, do you want to go to the police? What do you guys want to do? And at the time, I wanted nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. I was bitter. I was like, no. You want to go to the police now? I'm done. I didn't know. He didn't know. But um, 
yeah, I decided um, that I just felt so uncomfortable after the funeral and they were just like acting like a happy couple. And even people in the church who at this point now have like chosen to not talk to them because now it's like out. And everything that happened to us was out in the church. So people knew. Um, they just acted like it wasn't a big deal. At her funeral, seeing some of the people from my old church came in, I was out. I was like, mm -hmm. nope, I'm not here for you to give me your condolences. I don't care. Right. You know, we did at my sister's funeral, me and my siblings and like our closest friends, the place that it was held at, there was like a like an old, um, not like a, a kitchen, but it was like it used to be a restaurant in the back. We went in the back of the restaurant and got hammered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, <gasps> I can't do this. Right. I, we just wanted to be with each other, the people who we know truly and genuinely loved my sister. Yeah, and cared. Yeah. We, the only people that we invited, baby, <laughs> <laughs> were like... Her closest friends um, and two of her high school teachers who were absolute like saviors to her, like really genuinely good people. But my parents invited some of their friends who didn't even know her. Right. Totally random people. My mom's like, oh, come meet these people, sweetie. Yeah. Why? They didn't know her. Mm -hmm. And I'm not that person at a funeral. I remember when my grandma passed. No. I hung out in the gym and played basketball. Yeah. I I don't want to talk to people. Right. I don't want people to say that they're sorry for my loss. It makes me extremely uncomfortable. And maybe that's another thing of like me not processing things mm -hmm. normally. But all of us felt the same way. At my sister's funeral, we were pissed. Yeah. We yeah, we sat in the back. We all got super drunk, talked to each other reminisced about you know whatever good times we had together talked about her and like that was the real funeral for us right. because we know that's what she would have wanted yeah and you knew that all of the siblings like truly had each other's back yep and um i mean even her husband he had gone you know things were a doozy for him mm -hmm. they had two little girls together yeah and it, it was hard for him because she was gone a lot obviously she was living in her car she was off doing you know whatever and he was still such a good friend to her a great father to her kids and so none of us wanted anything to do with anyone out there yeah um so i remember talking to my dad on the phone after she died and asking him if we could talk about it can we please talk about it for years since we'd moved out i had wanted to just get everything out can we now finally discuss the things that you did to us can we finally finally discuss the the religious the the sexual and the physical and the mental abuse can we finally talk about it and that was the absolute worst conversation i've ever had with anyone in my entire life he called me a liar he i started naming some of the things that happened to us i was like do you remember um pulling a knife out on harmony and anthony okay so we were little kids couldn't have possibly done anything that bad i don't know what we could have possibly done but i remember him pulling a knife out on my brother and sister and i remember 
me and my little sister making the mental decision that if he were he was going to stab them mind you i think i was like eight and she was six so children we were like if he's going to stab them we are going to grab the butcher knife in that drawer and kill him i was fully ready to kill my father in self-defense right at eight years old my dad's like i he's like i pulled knives out on you guys just to scare you it was just a scare tactic because i wanted you guys to listen i'm like what about beating us with a two by four he's like i didn't do that it was a one by four i'm like no i remember that you broke that one on you know one of my siblings i don't remember so just like totally dismissing it oh everything me bringing up the extension cord he's like i didn't beat you guys with the extension cord trust me you i was there yeah like trust me you did and all of the things that we had talked about over years and years and years we had brought this stuff up to each other like the siblings we all remember that stuff extremely well you really just don't forget those things he was dismissing everything and, you know, threatening to break our necks or break our arms or break our legs if we did something. Um, I started bringing up the details. This time on this day, you did this. Do you remember that? He started, uh, like I said, calling me a liar. And then he's like, you want to bring up my sins? I'll bring up yours. You slept with uh, uh, a boy. You slept with your boyfriend or whatever. I was like, ooh, <laughs> god forbid i sleep with my boyfriend but to him i was like i'm not discussing sins i'm discussing crimes right abuse yeah absolutely refused and i was like i just want you to take a little bit of the weight of why my sister died and he's like i'm supposed to feel bad for some dead girl I was like, no, 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 no. Hung up on him, called my siblings, scheduled a meeting to speak with the detective. Come to find out after speaking to the police, and this was just in April when we spoke to the police, people had tried to come forward two other times about my father. He had sexually abused other people not just the people in my immediate family. Other people from our church had come forward and said, this man sexually abused me. And they were talked out of it. They had full statements of other people and they were talked out of it. He was like, yeah, I don't know why. I'm so sorry that your guys' cases were mishandled over the years. They had the cps calls the police you know being called right. to our house they had everything right, we everything have a needed. we had a file uh, who knew i had a file at the yeah. police station nope we did each, they ever tell you like why they didn't act on it or it just all i was given was that i wasn't on the force back I got then it. so i, I figured don't know. it would be something yeah. like that yeah which because you would think in a per- normal, I don't even want to say perfect world, in a normal world, mm-hmm. that if children are in that kind of situation, the first thought would be save the children. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, But again, it's just an, a case of we were never going to get out of there. Right. 
no one was ever going to save us. Not the police, obviously, not the church. What, what, what do you do? So finally, as an adult, I'm like, I Googled the statute of limitations. It's like, how long does it last? Um, and luckily I was within two years, so I was like, okay. Um, that was one of the hardest and scariest things I've ever done because why do I feel guilty about turning in my abusers after that long? Why do I feel bad about it? I'm like, oh, well, he's going to lose his job. And well, yeah, he's going to be in jail. But why do I feel guilty? Well, I think too, like, and you already mentioned this also, but they raised you to have that guilt and that shame Mm -hmm. and to ultimately blame yourself. And at the end of the day, I think people are taught always respect your parents, always love your parents. And at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, if you're a good person, you're going to have some sort of care because that's your parents, you know, biologically. So I think that because you're a good person, that's why you had those feelings of like of guilt in some Mm -hmm. way, you know? It just stopped becoming about like what would happen to them and more at this point now about like we should have done this years ago. Why did it take my sister dying for this to happen? Yeah. Because again, she was never given a chance. Mm -hmm. She was never like... Mental illness, whether some people think that you're born with it because it's a chemical imbalance or whether it's something that you develop because of trauma, either way, my parents, it's it's on them. Yeah. It's fully on them. And, you know, the stuff that she went through, the stuff that we all went through, it, I, we should feel no guilt for it because it has nothing to do with us not being good enough or not being able to handle things if we have like I think a lot of people kind of carry like guilt about mental illnesses like oh something's wrong with me but especially in our case it's not about something being wrong with us we were I mean shoot it just makes sense for us to have some of those issues so like the guilt that I hold for saying something about my parents, it's like I don't want anything to happen to them. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to see something bad happen to them, but at the same time, how can you look us in the eyes? Like my dad saying what he said, like I'm supposed to feel bad for some dead girl, mm. your daughter? Yes, you are. And the refusal to admit things and it never coming out. And it at this point, it's one of those things that just needed to be done. Yeah. We all went into the rooms and spoke to the detectives. The detectives so all the siblings? Yeah. Okay. And the detectives um, were like floored with the details you know we shared with them all of the sexual details we shared with them all of the physical details uh the mental abuse and um 
he was like, this is the biggest case of molestation and like sexual and physical abuse that we have ever seen. He's like, I've been on the force for 20 years. Um, because of how many people it involved, you know? Right. And he's like, and the fact that we have all of these records and all this stuff and nothing has ever been done, mm-hmm. like the, I never realized the weight of the situation. Like hearing him say, no, this is a cult. Mm-hmm. The isolation keeping you guys away from people when you were kids, the mental abuse, the biblical, like, using scripture to train you a certain way, using, you know, the fear of God, essentially. If we were to think the wrong thing, God's going to kill us at any minute. Like, literally, we thought that. Yeah. Um, all of that, he's like, that's, that's what cults do. They brainwash you into believing that either something physical or like a, a, a spiritual being, something will happen to you if you don't do like X, Y, Z. So me understanding that it's literally just like a way to keep you mentally bound to these beliefs with using fear, like it, it's, I mean, they, they were like, you guys are brainwashed. Um, I mean, like I said, as an adult, I kind of knew that now because you talk to other people and they're like, yeah, that's not normal. Um, but yeah, I guess kind of like now towards the end of everything, it's just kind of like learning how to cope with things being okay and accepting of the fallout it's it's okay to not be friends with family who are toxic that is something that i realize so many people struggle with is i'm like why are you still friends with your dad if he talks to you like that and they're like well like what if something happens to him we all have to be accepting and okay with that you know but if someone in your life especially your parents is extremely toxic for some reason, the kids always feel guilty, like, oh, they're just, look, they're my parents. Like, it's just, like, it's how they were raised, or it's just, like, their beliefs, mm-hmm. or they're old. I've learned that I I can't accept that for right. me. Um, I wouldn't want my kids to be, you know, in these people's lives, especially with church, too. Um, if you are at, like, a church or a school, and you see a kid showing, like, showing up to school with bruises all over them, or your son comes up and is like, hey, you know, John in class next to me had bruises all over him, you don't not say something. Yeah. And, I mean, that's why, like, from the beginning, I was like, it's, this is not a happy story. It's not, like, something that's, like, nice to talk about, but at least maybe it will, like, open people's eyes to these things you know yeah it's okay to question your religion if you feel like something is off um it's it's okay to confide in people especially if someone's pressuring you not to talk about something maybe you should talk about it yeah to someone i cried less than i thought i would well, okay. No, you did great. You seriously did. Like you did amazing. Um, so what ha- what's with your parents now? What what happened after you told the detective? Uh, to be determined. 
so it's it's all because it's all so so recent mm-hmm. um so did your parents have have either one of them ever said sorry something that frustrates me uh, my dad no okay <laughs> not dad, at all right absolutely not uh, i mean he'll admit to it he mm-hmm. actually told me if he had to do it all again he would do it he would do it all again mm-hmm. uh they they I, I was told that they were considering adopting god forbid mm. horrible and that's another reason why you have to say something you have to do something about it because oh my god if they ever got to adopt um Something that frustrates me that my mom says is, I'm sorry for not leaving when I should have. Are I'm, they still together? Okay. Right. So that holds a yeah. lot of meaning behind her words, right? Yeah. I'm sorry for not is not at all what I want to hear. Right. I want to hear, I'm sorry for holding you down while he beat you. Or... I'm sorry for consistently choosing him over you guys. Don't tell me what you're sorry for not doing. Tell me what you're sorry for that you actually did. Yeah. Because that's not a true apology. That's just you feeling feelings of regret. Mm -hmm. If you're sorry for the things that you did, then you would acknowledge the things that you did. She will never, ever admit out of her own mouth that he was a pedophile. She won't say it. She refuses to say it, which blows my mind because, I mean, I don't know how you look at it any other way, like the textbook definition, touching little kids, Mm -hmm. but, um, and another thing that frustrates me is, (laughs) so a job that my dad had, he worked with one of my ex-boyfriend's best friends. And obviously, the guy I was dating at the time, I shared with him some of the stories, and he was like, no, like, you know, my friend works with him. Yeah. His nickname at work was Smiley. He's the nicest guy ever. Well, he's got you fooled, right? It's mm-hmm. just a kick in the stomach right. because it's like, and I mean, <laughs> luckily at this point, the stuff in the church came out. They don't have the same leadership. A lot of the people were fired. They Mm -hmm. cleaned house. I will still never go back. Right. Ever. But even legally, I'm not going to say anything, but even legally, like these people could lose their licenses. Yeah. Like people came to you entrusting for you to do something and if you again if you just look if you just google the list of names of men in the church who had sexually abused their kids do you feel no guilt mm-hmm. uh, even the kids at my church we were bullied bad like at at, at school i was called the n-word uh bothered me less the kids at church that hurt they called like they called us all sorts of names and mocked us even like our youth leaders i have youth leaders literally you guys can kick rocks it's your job to protect these kids and teach them to become something Mm -hmm. and And instead yeah and instead they're just catty you know we look different we act different um they 
we were just treated poorly. I remember them sitting us down one time and being like, we just want to talk to you about like, we just feel like there's a problem. Uh, that was when I was like old enough to have a mouth on me. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, I just feel like you guys like treat us like shit and you don't like us. So yeah. sorry that I'm not super nice to you. Right. <laughs> but we were always treated like we were the problem. Mm-hmm. And even at my sister's funeral, the people who had the audacity to show up and then the people who said nothing. Right. Ugh. This blows your mind. Absolutely. Because what is church supposed to be but like a community of people who care about you? That's not what it was for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, my one sister, Annie, was bullied so bad that they had to literally sit down several parents to discuss some of the stuff that was happening. Like, it was awful. Like, literal, like, movie type mean girl stuff mm-hmm. uh, and just like the trash talk and calling her names and things it's like but all those kids just all got to move on you know nothing ever like they're all fine they're living great lives my sister's not alive yeah and there are no consequences for the things that happened to us that's my thing Every everything that happened to us Everyone got away with it. Right. It was just brushed under the rug. Yeah. Yeah. So do your parents know, both of them, know that you all went to the the police and the detectives or no? Yeah. Yeah. So do you currently, as of today, have any type of relationship with either of them? Not my dad. Okay. Um, My mom, it's... I I feel... I know we all feel, like, differently about her. It's Mm -hmm. hard to... Because I also view her as like a victim to a certain extent because we were fucked up mentally. Like, and the way that we were isolated, she was isolated. The way that she was biblically trained and by all the people around her. What these things do to you is they like rewrite your moral compass to no longer go by like normal morals and law. You go by biblical well, yeah, they literally like slaughtered women, children, and babies. Of course, things are going to be a little off. Mm-hmm. Um, but they teach you that it's okay because it's in the Bible. It's, it's all right. So for her, I still view her as um, brainwashed. Yeah. Like we never celebrated uh, Christmas or Easter because they're pagan holidays. Um so while all the other kids are talking about all the stuff that they got for Christmas, we got nothing. Um, and when we, we grew up a little bit and moved out, we started doing those things. I remember decorating my first Christmas tree. I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents separated for a couple of years during that time. And my mom would do those things with us. But the moment she went back with him, she didn't do them anymore. She went right back, reverted right back to all of the old things that she did. Because biblically, it was her job as a dutiful wife. So I I do still talk to her. She knows that we went to the police. And she knows how we feel about things. Um, but she's choosing to stay by his side through everything. 
So that kind of like, it almost makes you feel like you have to choose. Yeah. So, because uh, again, she was abused as well. But then like, do you hate her for standing by and letting and allowing everything to happen? Or do you also view her as a victim and feel bad for her that she literally cannot break out of it? Right. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I think that first off, I'm so sorry that all of that happened to you. And I'm sorry about your sister. Um, but I think that it takes for all of the siblings so much courage to find, you know, like, yeah, you can look at it now and be like, we should have done this sooner, but you're doing it now. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And sometimes it takes the right time and a lot of time to come to terms with everything to really know like, okay, now I'm ready to speak about this and share it and make a change and make something happen, you know, and, and absolutely, you know, your parents, they shouldn't be able to adopt, obviously. So it's Mm -hmm. like by you doing this, there's a big chance that maybe you're preventing somebody else from going through this. And and even the fact of you knowing that there were other victims outside of your family, like this in a way might give them justice as well. You know, and I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, nothing of your past can be changed. And it's unfortunate because you may never get the closure from your father that you long for and they honestly you deserve because even though it doesn't change anything that might help you within yourself that he would finally just truly say he's sorry and you might not get that from that kind of person mm-hmm. which is terrible and it sucks but once again it's it's just another thing you might have to come to terms with yeah. um but I think that by you speaking out today like you and all of your siblings it it just it shows a lot about you all and your character and your strength and your courage because if you really look back, you guys went from really not knowing anything and not having the education and not knowing normal versus what you're taught. And, you know, but you still were able to come to a point to be like, this is wrong and we're going to speak up about it. So I feel like that's something that's so important to recognize that you guys were all, you know, as a group able to get to that point. You know what I mean? So that's huge. And I feel like it, you know, even if somebody might not directly relate to your story, there could be so many people that have gone through, you know, mental or physical or sexual abuse that might not have felt comfortable enough to speak out about it. And maybe they didn't mm-hmm. feel ready. But now after hearing your story, they might feel like, wow, that that was the support and courage that I needed to hear from someone else, you yeah. know? So I feel like you have to realize that you might even now coming on here on the podcast and sharing it, it's like, you might be helping people that have completely different stories than you, you know? And I, and I think that that's something really amazing that you should be proud of. And even to the point that you're at, I feel like that you were able, even if you were 16, you said, right, when you got mm-hmm. out of it, that you were able to get out of it, you know, and, and you are making something of yourself. And, and I just think that there's a lot that you should be proud of. And I know that, like I said, nothing can change the past, but it's there and it's made, it's, Gonna, going to continue to make you stronger and to be a voice for other people and to help people, you know? Yeah, there's definitely positive sides to that. Cause... It's hard to see them. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I, yeah. I like, I definitely think, unfortunately, the negatives are a lot more, you know, clear than the positives. But mm-hmm. I think that in, at least right now in your life, you can start maybe thinking of the positives of what 
you know, you can continue to do for yourself and for your siblings and for mm-hmm. others. Cause there really, there really isn't any positives of the past at all, yeah. you know? And there's, like I said, there's going to be things like that you may never get the closure that you want, but at least now going forward, it's like, I can do this to slightly, you know, take this, this horrible negative thing that happened mm-hmm. to me and my siblings and speak about it and be open about it and get the justice that we deserved then you know what I mean and hopefully get that for ourselves now and for other people you Mm -hmm. know so I feel like that's somewhat of a way to kind of look at it you know (laughs) bring bring some sort of light to it but but no I I think that I think like I said it it just takes so much so much courage and strength to come on here and share that and uh, and thank you so much for wanting to speak about your story because Mm -hmm. I know it it had to be really really hard and I can't even imagine we have talked about wanting to talk about it for years and never thought we would get the chance and um yeah thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to share it because literally the it's it's something that I know my sister would be so proud of yeah well you did amazing really (laughs) and honestly I just you know I know that I I feel like I can see from when I met you before and even now, like I just feel like you're such a positive person. At least that's the energy that you give off, you know. So I feel like I believe and know that you're going to go really far places and you should be really, really proud of yourself as a person, really. Thank you. Of course, of course. Thank you. (laughs)